Good morning. It's good to see you all. And it's good, I think, and good to see you all. I got to remember that you're there. You, you, get, you get the profile view. I'm sorry. Um, isn't it nice that it's cooler? I think it is. I love fall. But, you know, I'm from Seattle, right? So, so the whole Arkansas August humidity, heat, ah, ooh, mm, no. I mean, bless you for those of you who grew up here, but man, that's always been a stretch for me. I, 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 uh, I do like heat, but I like it in manageable quantities. So I, I, I'm, I'm thankful to the Lord today that it's not so hot. Um, so thank you for all those who were um, involved in planning this morning's service. Um, Pastor Jonathan is away on study leave, and so we're trying to, to muddle through. And so we will, we will, and, and the team, it was great. Weren't they great? Yeah, been great. Um, there are times when it's fun to go down. Have you ever been to Silver Dollar City? Anybody? All right, there we go. Um, when our girls were younger, uh, the two girls and I would ride Thunderation. Yay? No? Okay. Thunderation powder keg? Okay. Wildfire. Yeah. Okay, there we go. And I know there's two new... When I went to the website, there, there are two new roller coasters, which we haven't been on yet. I haven't been on yet. I say we... Tracy would not go on these to save her life. So it was the girls and I would go on these roller coasters. And, you know, can, can you remember that feeling of getting in the roller coaster and you're so excited but kind of nervous? Right. And then, then you get on that, and then the roller coaster starts with kind of a jerk. And then it goes tick, 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 tick. And you're going up that first big tick, 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 tick hill. And, and, and the tension is mounting and you're going, why am I on this roller coaster? Who talked me into this? Why am I doing this? Tick, 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 tick. And then you're at the top and boom, you go down. And your heart is in your throat. And then you remember, that's why I'm on the roller coaster. This is amazing. And then you're you know, flying around the corners and the loop-de-loops and corkscrews and all the stuff. And then you get off and you go, let's do it again. Right? There were times when the girls and I would ride the ride, get in the line, ride the ride, get in the line, ride the ride, get in the line. We just do it over and over and over. Um, now, now, sometimes the lines were too long to do that. But man, when we could do that, like especially later in the evening, oh, that was just great. It was fun to go down. But in America today, and in many other places around the world, we usually think that going up is even better than going down. Kids want their allowance to go up. Am I right? Students want their grades to go up. Homeowners want the value of their homes to go up. Wall Street wants the stock market to go up. And at work, we want to be promoted and our salaries to go up. We want to be upwardly mobile. And yet Paul highlights downward mobility in Philippians 2. What does that have to do with relationships? Well, we'll find out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we live in a culture where upward mobility is seen as a way of life. And the word that Dree just helped us to understand so much better Humility, humble, is not a word that we, at least our culture, usually likes. We don't 
usually humble ourselves. We hear so much more about how we promote ourselves and we promote our brand and we build uh, our platform so our name gets out and our, I don't know, we are promoting ourselves. And yet you say, through Paul, that we should humble ourselves. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, the Old Testament says, and you shall be lifted up. So help us today as we think through the ways that in our lives, and especially in our relationships, we can humble ourselves and look not only to our own interests, but look to the interests of others. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning, our New Testament reading uh, was Philippians 2, 1 to 11. And this is our text for today's sermon that I'm calling Imitating Downward Mobility. And one verses 1 through 11 of chapter 2 can be divided into three parts. Three parts. First of all, Paul exhorts the Philippians in verses 1 through 5. We'll talk about that in a second. Second, Christ humbles himself. Verses 6 through 8. And third, the Father exalts the Son. Paul exhorts the Philippians, Christ humbles himself, and the Father exalts the Son in verses 9 to 11. Okay, so first, Paul exhorts the Philippians. To exhort is to encourage or to urge. But how does Paul exhort the Philippians? Well, notice in verse 1, if you have, have your Bibles open, which would be a good idea. It would be helpful if you have your Bibles open to be following along this passage from uh, second, Philippians 2, 1 to 11. So open your Bibles and follow along. First, Paul exhorts the Philippians to exhort is to encourage or urge. But how does he do that? Notice in verse 1, Paul urges them to consider their experiences. So that's the first way. Look at their experiences. Look at the list of experiences that Paul talks about in that first verse. Paul asks them, have you experienced any encouragement as a result of your relationship with Christ? And of course, Paul knows they have. The, the if there does not mean he wonders if they have. He knows they have. It's rhetorical if. If you've experienced any encouragement. Next, have you received any consolation? from love. Has the love of Jesus healed your hurts, eased your sorrows? Have you Philippians experienced the consoling power of love from Christ and from other believers? Of course you have. Just remember it. Remember those experiences. Then, have you experienced any sharing in the Holy Spirit? Again, rhetorical question. He was there. He knew that they had, and he'd been hearing from them that they had. Have you benefited from the gifts of the Holy Spirit through the ministry of fellow believers? Yes. And finally, have you experienced, he asked the Philippians, have you experienced any compassion and sympathy in the body of Christ? Yes. And have we, here, in this body of Christ, Yes. Can you think back on those experiences in your own life? How the body of Christ has consoled you at times of sadness, encouraged you when you needed that kick in the rear. Can you think of those experiences? Yes, yes, you can. So do. So Paul encourages them to remember their past experiences. Next, in verse 2, Paul exhorts them to consider their personal relationship 
with him, saying, make my joy complete. Paul says, make my joy complete. Okay, and make my joy complete by doing what I'm asking you to do. Make my joy complete. I'm, I'm motivating you to do this based on our personal relationship. Uh, have you recently done something for a friend or loved one, and you've done it because of your relationship with them? Um, Friday night, we took a walk with our granddaughter, Lizzie. Hey, Lizzie. What's up? We took our grand, uh, granddaughter, Lizzie, on a walk. Um, who, uh, Lizzie was having a sleepover at our house, which was, is always great fun. It was awesome. Um, one of our neighbors bought some property in our neighborhood and preserved it as a beautiful park. It has plenty of large trees, a creek, grassy hills that we can all enjoy. Wasn't that nice of them? Uh, in our family, referred, we refer to it as Narnia. Big surprise there, you know. So on our walk that night, we walked into Narnia to the big swing that hangs from a sturdy branch of a towering tree. And Lizzie asked, dude, would you please push me? Yes, dude, remember is my grandpa name. Dude, could you please push me? And of course, I was happy to push Lizzie, not only because she's cute and sweet and adorable, but because of our relationship. She's my granddaughter. I'd pretty much do anything for Lizzie. Don't let her hear that. In verse 2, Paul urged the Philippians, based on their mutual love for each other, their relationship to do as he asked. Next, Paul exhorts the Philippians. Remember, we're looking at ways that he exhorts them. Next, Paul exhorts the Philippians to do something and to do it all together. Look at the second half of verse 2. Paul says, have the same mind and be in full accord and be of one mind. He says it in three ways. In fact, Trace and I were talking about this last night. She said, I, I was reading it through and she goes, he, he, he said the same thing three ways. And I said, yeah, I've got that in my notes. That, that's coming up in the next sentence. He, and he said the same thing three ways. Why did he say the same thing three ways? I think because he wanted us to get this, right? Do it all in one accord. Be of the same mind. Do it all together, right? He says it three ways. It sounds like he wants us to do something and to do it in unity. And so he exhorts them to do something and to do it in full accord, in unity. Well, what, is it, what are we supposed to do? In full accord. Yes, we're supposed to gather on Sunday mornings. Yep, we're doing that. That's great. Um, the answer is in verses 3 and 4. So take a look right there. Paul exhorts the Philippians to build relationships characterized by humility. There's that word, dream. Dirt. <laughs> characterized by humility, not by selfishness. Verse 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition. Now, what? Do nothing. Nothing? Nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Do nothing from conceit. But in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. And in verse 4, he says, let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Okay, and that, just so you know, this is the core message of Paul in this passage. This is the message he's trying to get across. This is what he wants them to do in QA, all together in unity. And, and it really, that's the key, because uh, this isn't about being a doormat. 
and being the one on whom everyone walks. This is about everyone doing this for each other. We're all to be humble, but not as lone rangers. We're to be humble together so that when I look out for your best interests, you look out for my best interests. And then I can look out for someone else's best interests. And then someone can look, someone got to look out for Jen. Best interests. Brad he does some of that, right? Once in a while, once in a while. Brad, yeah, okay, good. This is the core message of Paul in his passage. Look, Paul says, don't build relationships just for what you get out of it, but build them based on how you can help. We're talking about all kinds of relationships here. Parenting, friendships, marriages. Don't do it just for what you get out of it, but do it because of you, the way you can help. As a church, we're to look to building relationships with our community and not just in ways that benefit us. Hey, we can get more members this way. That's a good thing. That's not bad. But, but we should be doing it even more so as we follow the image of Christ, as we follow the lesson of Christ. We're going to be doing it not for what we get out of it, but for what we can do to help. Helping is our motivation, humbling ourselves to help others. And then finally, Paul exhorts the Philippians by using the example of Jesus. Paul uses Jesus to show us how to put others before our own interests, because Jesus put our interests before his own. So that's point number one. Paul exhorts the Philippians in verses one through five, and we've discussed the various ways that he did that. There we go. Now let's consider point number two. Christ humbles himself in verses six through eight. Christ humbles himself in verses six through eight. Um, all Bible commentators agree that verses six, and I, that's all of them. I, I didn't read one uh, commentary, one commentator that disagreed with this. All biblical commentaries agree that verses six through 11 are an early Christian hymn about the incarnation. Now, now the, the only disagreements are whether Paul wrote that hymn or whether Paul was borrowing a hymn from the early church that the church probably in Philippi had been singing all along. I think either way, whether he wrote the hymn or whether he adopts the hymn, it's now in scripture. This is the word of the Lord. There you go. And this is how Christ, who was God, uh, the, the, the hymn is about the incarnation. What's the incarnation back? This is how, how Christ, who was God, became a human. Incarnation comes from the Latin word carne. Exactly. Comes from the Latin word carne, from which we get words like chili con, which means chili with meat. There you go. Thank you very much. Meat. Thanks, Brett. So God, in, uh, uh, and, and so chili con carne, chili with meat, and carnivore. Where's my dinosaur people? Any dinosaur people? What is a carnivore? Meat eater. Right. You got your herbivores, and you got your carnivores. I'm a fan of the carnivores. Yeah. So somebody, get, what's a carnivore dinosaur? Give me one. T-Rex, thank you very much. That's exactly what's in my notes. Bingo. T-Rex, definitely a meat eater. All right, so chili con carne, chili with meat, carnivore, meat eater. So God incarnate means God in the, oh, that was slow. God in the 
I know that sounds a little weird, doesn't it? So maybe it's more appropriate to say God in the flesh. But it means God in the meat. That when Christ came down and took on human flesh, he became a human incarnation. The incarnation hymn is divided into two parts, verses 6 through 8, which we're looking at right now. Christ humbles himself, and verses 9 through 11, the Father exalts the Son. So let's look at the first half of the hymn. In verse 6, Paul expresses the cornerstone of Christian faith that Jesus is divine. He writes, who though he was in the form of God, he did not think that equality with God was something to be exploited. Notice those two key words in the statement, form and equality. The NRSV, which many of you have, uh, says, says it this way, though he was in the form of God, while the NIV translates it this way, though he was in the very nature God. And the CRV simply says, Christ was God. Kind of like that. Doesn't leave anything up to the imagination. Christ was God. Uh, form and nature, uh, the NRSV and the NIV, are words that express essence or ultimate meaning. One's form or nature goes beyond one's appearance or function to the very core of who you are. At his core, verse tells us that the heavenly Christ, existing before he came to earth, this is before Bethlehem, before Mary, before the wise men, before all that, that the pre-existing Christ came to earth, that he shared a divine nature with the Father. But rather than taking advantage of the benefits of that divine nature, Christ pours himself out, empties himself, another great Greek word, kenosis, pours himself out for us, and takes on the nature of a servant. That's the first step in his downward mobility. Christ steps away from the advantage of divine sonship, and without relinquishing his divinity, he takes the form of a slave. In fact, in Mark's gospel, the same, same attitude of Christ is evident. In chapter 9, verse 35, when Jesus tells his disciples that whoever wants to be great among you must be last of all and a servant of all. Remember, James and John were trying to find out where the seats of power were. Christ, we know you're going to sit in the big, the big throne, dude, but where are the seats of power? Point them out. We want them. Where are they going to be? We want to sit in those seats. And he says to James and John and the rest of the disciples, no, 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 no. Whoever wants to be great must be last and a servant. And in Mark 10, 45, we're reminded that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Man, I'd rather be served. I want to go to a restaurant and have the waiter come out and take my order and bring me food. I like being served. But Jesus says, if you want to be great in the kingdom, it's not first you want to be, you want to be last. And you don't want to be the one getting served. You want to be the one who's serving. And Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve. How did he serve? By giving his life as a ransom for many. Now, the word slave, and you see the word slave there, if you're looking in your NRSV. It comes from the Greek doulos. Man, we're getting a lot of words today. It comes from the Greek doulos and describes someone who is subservient to and totally at the disposal of his or her master. In Roman times, slave usually referred to a permanent position of servitude. 
Under Roman law, a slave was considered the owner's property, had no rights, and could even be killed by their owners. The Bible used this word doulos to describe many prominent characters in the Old and New Testaments. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew equivalent, chebed, is used to describe Abraham, Joshua, David, and Isaiah, slaves. Even the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah describe him as God's chebed. In the New Testament, the word doulos, the one that's in our passage of Scripture today, the word doulos, or slave, is used to describe those devoted to Jesus. In fact, Timothy, James, Peter, and Jude all describe themselves as doulos, slaves of Christ. And Paul, in the very first verse of Philippians, if you flip back there really quick, in the first verse of Philippians, describes himself as a doulos, a slave for Christ, using the very same word that's in our passage today. Christ's first downward step is from his place as divine son to the place of a slave. Another downward step for Christ is from slave to human. In verse 7 of the hymn, we're told that Christ was found in human likeness. That's the next step from down from divine son to slave, from slave to human. Paul wants us to be sure, however, that no one thinks when he says likeness that he simply means looks like a human, a God in a human suit. So he uses the word form again at the end of verse 7. Beginning of verse 7, he said he takes the form of a servant, and at the end of verse 7, he said he takes the form of a human, the nature of a human. Without ceasing to be the divine son of God, Christ takes on the form of a human and becomes the son of Mary. Did you get that? The divine son of God takes on the form of a human and becomes the son of Mary. John 1.1 puts it this way, and you know this verse. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And in verse 14, he continues, and the word became flesh. There's that word again, and lived among us. This isn't just a downward step, but a downward leap. The second person of the divine trinity becomes a human. As God omnipresent, Christ was everywhere. Now as human, Christ is born in Bethlehem and lived in Judea. As God omnipotent, all-powerful, now as human, Christ relied on air to breathe, food to eat, and actually needed to rest. As God omniscient, knowing everything, now Christ is human, Christ has to learn. Luke 2.52 tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and knowledge and in favor with God and with people. Jesus grew in wisdom. The final downward step is from human to death. Verse 8 tells us that Christ humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Christ didn't just die a human death, but he was violently crucified, a death so horrible that it was believed in Jesus' day to be a curse. In fact, Paul writes in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Paul says, cursed is anyone who hangs from a tree. But of course, that's not the end of the story for Jesus. Verse 9 through 11 show how God the Father exalts Christ for his willingness to come down to our level and give his life for us. 
And so now we move from downward mobility to upward mobility. So point number three, the father exalts the son in verses 9 through 11. Therefore, verse 9 says, God also exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And just so there's no confusion, in Hebrew thought, the word Lord was only ever used for God. They never called their master Lord with this word. They never called their governor or mayor Lord. They didn't even call their king Lord. Only God was Lord. Downward mobility was not mobility was not the end of the story for Jesus, and it isn't the end of the story for us either. For when we humble ourselves and look to the interests of others and put their needs before our own, when we stop acting out of selfish ambition in our relationships, then we will, by God's grace, experience healthier and more rewarding relationships than we ever have before. I, this is in my notes. I, I struggle here a bit because I don't want to do this either. I, I, would, I would rather be promoted and thought of as wonderful than to humble myself. And, and I think sometimes I get frustrated with my students when, when I call them to think seriously about the needs of others in our country and our community. I'm going to lose some of you here, I know. When I, when I talk to my students about structural racism, when I talk about going down so you can lift others up, they don't like that. And they say, are you trying to give us a guilt trip? And I say, no. But even if I was, you're thinking about your interests not the interests of others. You're stuck on you. Don't be stuck on you. Think beyond you and what you want and what you need and what's comfortable and think about the needs of others. Okay, end of sermon. No, that's not the end of the sermon. All right, um, so downward mobility was not the end of the story for Jesus and it isn't the story for us either. We can, hum either, we can either humble ourselves, and I think there's just two options here. We can humble ourselves and let God lift us up, or we can try to lift ourselves up, acting like we're better than others, and let God humble us. Bible story after Bible story provide examples of those who proudly tried to exalt themselves, but were humbled by God. But if we all choose to live like Jesus and step down into the lives of others and lend a hand and show we understand, then when we put others' interests before our own and in unity care for each other, then we will allow God to lift us up. And that's the best upward mobility we could ask for. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.